Let me, you guys have a seat. Well, happy birthday, New City. Yeah, praise God. Y'all, there's no doubt about it. Uh, God's hand is on our church. Um, it's evident that the Spirit of God is moving uh, and convicting hearts and changing uh, and restoring and healing lives. God is adding to our number. God's calling people into mission and purpose with zeal and passion. Um, I see so many of you just longing and desiring and taking steps uh, just for a hunger and a deeper walk with Jesus. Uh, you know, these things can't be manufactured apart from the Spirit of God moving. Right? Uh, so I want to take about seven or eight minutes uh, and go down memory lane and just tell the New City story up to this point because, uh, y'all, it's been almost five years um, from the time God birthed the seed of a vision to plant a church that would reach the world uh, that started on the top of a mountain in South Asia. Never in a million years could I have imagined the stories and faces and the people that are in this room today? Uh, I mean, I, because I'm pretty sure five years ago, I think I knew about four of you, and one of those was my wife. But I, I remember being just utterly uh, convinced that this is what God was calling us to do, and also just extremely terrified and mortified all at the same time uh, of, of the journey ahead. It took about um, a year and a half to discern that this was truly what God was calling us to do, discerning if we were ready and equipped, just dreaming and wondering and um, praying about where we would go. Uh, and that seemed like a long, slow process. You know, I ended up quitting my job to enter into about a year of training and fundraising and team building. Uh, and during that entire process, process, uh, it became very clear that this journey would be filled with highs and lows, <laughs> filled with peaks and valleys and hardships and thrills. You know, many of my friends wanted to come, but their wife didn't, or Kelly's friends wanted to come and the husband didn't. Uh, it felt like we were laboring and laboring and laboring and nothing was happening. Uh, we get excited to then just turn around and be let down. You know, it seemed like everything uh, we thought would happen didn't happen in those first few summer months. Uh, wondering, is this even going to work? Like, what are we even doing? Uh, and for whatever reason, every time we asked that question, almost wanting to give up, God would show up. Almost like he was just kind of looking down on us, smiling and just blessing us abundantly. Uh, and it became overwhelmingly clear throughout that entire year that whatever happens with this church it's certainly not up to me and my power and my abilities and what I want and that we were a part of a movement of God. And that the only thing I had the power to do was to get in the way and just totally mess this thing up. Uh, because in the summer of 2019, we moved down here with a team of uh, 35 adults and 15 kids from North Carolina down here to Tampa, uh, which that in itself was a clear movement of God. I mean, nobody knew a soul we didn't know a single person in Tampa. We didn't have a place to meet. We didn't have a worship leader. Uh, we were trying to figure out just how to live life in the Sunshine State. Uh, and we finally, later that summer, <laughs> we found a large cubicle uh, to meet on Sunday nights at the University Mall um, with karate happening right beside us, adding a, a few hi-yahs to the sound checks <laughs> while we were welcomed uh, with several herbal smells in the parking deck. Uh, and may we not forget the rainy afternoons uh, with water dripping from the ceiling, landing on my shoulder while I preach. Uh, not to mention the kids uh, were a good 300 yards from the parents walking through a dark parking deck at the mall. So let's just say the first several months of 2019, uh, they were eventful and interesting. Uh, and with that, we were trying to find a different space so we could better open up to the public to officially launch in January of 2020. Uh, but y'all, we had nothing. 
You know, every, everything seemed to fall short over and over again. Uh, and then at the end of October of 2019, we all gathered together and we prayed and we pleaded as a core team for God to provide something because we literally had no other options. And in God's faithful provision, I kid you not, within the next week, God simply placed LearningGate, this space we're in right now, right into our laps with the ability to officially launch in January of 2020. Yeah, yeah. And so out of, a, out of a season of hardship with us wondering what we were doing, God looked down on us and then he just simply smiled and blessed us, blowing wind into our sails to keep moving and to keep going. Uh, and two years ago today, we officially launched our church, seeing an incredible picture of God's faithfulness, reminding, of, reminding us of his goodness and care. And I don't think I need to do a ton of talking uh, and explaining about what happened seven weeks later, sparking one of the hardest seasons our nation has ever has experienced in over uh, 30 years with a global pandemic and racial unrest and political upheaval. Y'all, I kid you not, uh, at this point last year, I was about two seconds away from just throwing in the towel about a hundred times over, all at the same time, knowing without a doubt in my mind that this is what God has called us to do. And in the middle of those many dark days in deep pits, God showed up over and over and over again, just continuing every single day to breathe life into our sails and bringing many of you uh, just as gifts to us, continuing to lavish his grace upon us as a church, continuing to, to affirm over and over and over again that his hand is on our church, that he has not forgotten us. Because from this time uh, last year in early 2021, we've gone from one pastor elder to th now three, right? Going on four with AJ. Uh, we've seen God literally double our church this year. Uh, we've, we've, we went from about five to 10 college students at this time last year, now to about 30 to 40 students on a Sunday at various times, right? God has brought, yeah, praise God. Yeah, God has brought several new families. We've seen several baptisms as well as uh, other uncountable things like life change and unity uh, and restoration and spiritual growth and a fervency for the lost. Y'all, there's no doubt about it. God is moving. God is up to something here because the enemy, he has tried way too hard to stop what God is doing here. But God has shown time and time again that nothing can stop what God has set out to accomplish. Yeah, I have no clue what God is gonna do. Right? He calls us to dream, to pray, to plead, and to labor, uh, but God's going to do his thing. And we just get to sit back and watch him work and join him in the process. And if, and if I've learned anything up to this point, uh, the journey ahead, it will likely be hard, filled with more valleys and setbacks. Uh, but times like today, it's good and right for us to stop and remember and celebrate all that God has done and is doing. Y'all, you know, these mountaintop moments are good for us to remember and celebrate, and they also help us to look ahead and see. Y'all, the mountaintops are great. We love them. We can't neglect them. But if God has taught us anything throughout this journey, it's that life change and growth and transformation, they often happen in the hardships of the valleys. Again, the mountaintops help us to see and celebrate. Y'all, these, mo these mountaintop moments, uh, but may we not forget that growth often happens in the valleys, and we need both. God uses the depths of our valleys to then strengthen us and grow us and prepare us to climb to the next mountain. And today we get to celebrate and remember looking out uh, and seeing ahead, knowing that more valleys uh, and more mountains are up ahead. Without question, both will come because this is just how life happens. But with that said, I do want to take a moment and continue to celebrate on top of the mountain uh, what God has done because New City, God decided to put a big exclamation point uh, on our church at the end of this past year. 
Uh, I, I don't want us to forget that we planted our church with the ends of the earth on our heart. As our vision statement suggests, uh, we exist to see Jesus change lives and to reach the world. At the end of 2021, uh, we took up a missions and church planting offering, asking people to give uh, above and beyond uh, their normal tithes and offerings. And last year, we raised about $5,000 and gave away eight, 8000 So we thought, let's try for $8,000 again, really not knowing what to expect, because let's be honest, uh, about half of our church doesn't have a full-time job. <laughs> but you know what? God decided yet again to look down on us and smile and remind us that his hand is on our church. Because I'm excited to announce that we didn't raise $8,000. No, God brought in over $15,000 above and beyond our normal offering. To be sent, yeah, praise God. To be sent out to missions and church planning for the mission of God to go forth. You know, that's almost three times what we saw last year. And something kind of neat about all of this is that we then obviously had extra money uh, to go to missions and church planting and in some ways praying about how to best steward these resources. Yes, giving more where we are already going to give. But then one day, early last week, we received word uh, that a family our church partners with and prays for in Central Asia had a unique financial need come up. They work through a missions company we, we give money to and we're still giving money to, we're going to continue to. Uh, but a few weeks ago, they found out they were going to lose funding for their two boys in school. They were in a bit of a place of desperation, trying to figure out how to pay for their kids' school and now not being able to. And so they emailed me along with several others, not having a clue what God has done, asking uh, if our church could help them financially. Which honestly, y'all, they've never asked us for a dime. And because of your generosity to blow our mission's goal out of the water, y'all, that was one of the single easiest yeses I have ever been able to give to a missionary in desperate need. Your extravagant generosity in the last six weeks of 2021 paved a way for us to collectively bless and fill an urgent need for missionaries that we didn't even know existed eight weeks ago in a highly strategic uh, and lost place where the name of Jesus is widely not known and rejected. Now, this family is laboring in one of the single hardest places on the planet for the gospel where most missionaries don't tend to last because of how hard and dark it is. Because of how many struggles and setbacks continue to come their way, like many, uh, many being just kicked out of the country. But your joy in giving generously to missions and church planning is helping to fuel their joy to keep laboring in hard places. Y'all, this is the heart of God, uh, blessing his children. A new city, uh, the hand of God is on our church. Like God is moving through our church. He is using us to fulfill his mission uh, and purpose on earth. And, and today, I just want us to stop and celebrate. Right, just stand and stop and celebrate the goodness and faithfulness of God. Right? Like God has been so good to us. Yo, God has been so good to us. I don't want you guys to forget this. Because really, I mean, God has been so kind. These are good, these are good moments for us to stop and just, again, to celebrate. The mountaintops are great to stop and celebrate, but we also have to uh, look ahead and see. So you guys can have a seat. Let's say you can uh, turn your Bibles to John 8. Um... As we continue to use this mountaintop moment uh, to not only celebrate God's past faithfulness, but pray and beg God for his future faithfulness. That we will be able to stop and use the mountain to look out and see and pray about what God may do. Uh, and John 8 just happens to be our next passage in our trek through John. And I wish I could say I planned this ahead of next week, uh, but in fact, I did not. Um, God, God tends to do these things for us uh, because your pastor isn't smart enough uh, or clever enough to plan them or think of them ahead of time. 
But I do find it fitting that our uh, text pretty easily directs our main idea for today to be almost identical to our vision statement as a church. And it's this, that Jesus desires to see lives change and to reach the world. Isn't that convenient for our two-year birthday? Uh, for us to remember why we as a church exist. I, I didn't plan that uh, or, see, or see that when this came up, when just kind of looking at the passage. Uh, this was just our next passage in John. And so we can see the smile of God yet again, flexing upon uh, my own inabilities. Um, I've actually been wondering uh, for the past few months if we should even preach this passage, because if you look at your Bible, you'd see brackets around the first 11 verses of John 8. And then possibly a footnote saying most of the earliest manuscripts don't include it, which creates all sorts of debate on whether it should be here or not. Uh, but the good news for us with this passage is that there is nothing in here doctrinally that would change anything about Jesus. And on top of that, whether or not this story was written in the original manuscript, uh, which it likely wasn't, there's actually very little debate on whether this truly happened or not. So this event likely happened, it just wasn't recorded in the first manuscript. So regardless of how you view this, John 8 verses 1 through 11 is a beautiful picture of the heart of Jesus and his desire to show mercy and grace and to see lives changed. So verses 1 through 11 uh, is a picture of life change. And then verse 12 is a picture of God's heart, God's heart for the world. And we'll see in both instances the power of grace uh, at work, which is how we're going to divide our time. Uh, look at uh, number one is going to be God's grace changed lives. And then number two, Jesus is the light of the world which for us as a church on our birthday is fun because, uh, again, why do we exist? We exist to see Jesus change lives and to reach the world. And the only way any of this will happen is by the grace of God. All right, grace, by definition, it's a gift. It's getting what we don't deserve. Grace is God's power put on display in spite of our sin and imperfection. Grace is God lavishing his favor on people that don't deserve it. And for us as a church, uh, two years in, there's no doubt uh, that God's grace has brought us to this point. And we also know that God's grace is essential for the task ahead. And let me just say real quick before we read verses 1 through 11. If you're here today, and for whatever reason you're in a place of shame, or maybe despair, or because of something maybe you've done, or some sort of sin or wrong you've done, maybe seeing and knowing or, or feeling the weight of your sin. Let me encourage you before we get in and say, today's your day to let God just bless your soul and just be lavished with his grace because uh, this is what I know to be true. God's grace is greater than your sin. God's grace is greater than our sin. May we not forget that today. All of us need to hear this, that, uh, that God's grace is greater than our sin. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God's grace is greater than all of it. Grace is something we all desperately need. It's what the whole world needs, and grace is what makes following Jesus different from every other religion. And so just talking about grace today, it just warms the heart. And we get a beautiful picture and reminder of the grace of God. So let's start reading in chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the mountain, uh, to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to her, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? I want to stop 
there and remind everybody that Jesus and the Pharisees, they've been playing a little bit of a cat and mouse game. Uh, they're not really, ha- the Pharisees are not happy with Jesus. They, in fact, they want him dead and they can't seem to trap him. Um, he's like a nice, gentle Jack Sparrow. They just can't seem to catch. Uh, and in our story today, John is yet again teaching in broad daylight with, a, uh, or Jesus is teaching in broad daylight uh, with a death wish out for him. And his enemies, his opponents, the people who didn't like him, the scribes and the Pharisees, they think they've got him cornered. They think they've really got him this time because this time they've got a woman whom they've caught in adultery. And as soon as we'll find, and as we'll soon find out what they meant for evil to corner Jesus and to trap him, he does what he does best. And he turned it around to teach about his incredible grace and mercy that transforms lives forever, which leads to our first point. Number one, grace changes lives. Again, y'all, we, we are desperate for grace, each of us. The way in which we change and grow, it's by the power of grace. More religion and more law and more rules, it will crush you and me. Because what I am 100% sure of for every person in this room is that today you will sin and fall short in some way. It's 100% guaranteed, okay? Uh, be encouraged. I mean, happy birthday, right? But grace is what empowers us to get back up. Grace is what keeps us going. These scribes and Pharisees are heavy on the law. Their lives are centered around religion. They make every effort to white knuckle and obey the law perfectly. But you know what they don't understand? It's the, they don't understand the power of grace. Well, guess what? Today they're gonna get a dose of grace. We just read they brought this lady to Jesus while he's teaching and said, uh, the law says to stone her, but what do you say? They think they've set a trap. They think they've got Jesus cornered because Jesus has been saying up to this point that he, has, he was sent by God and what Jesus teaches is from God. Jesus has claimed to be God's son. The Messiah, he's claimed to be the anointed one that everybody's been waiting for. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they don't like it. And so they come, they come to him with something that they thought would trap him. Because Jesus, he has been uh, teaching using the law, which they reference, uh, which was, uh, was, was known to come from God, that says the lady should be stoned based on the law. But yet they also know Jesus was known to show great compassion on people. He had been, he had been showing mercy and forgiveness, and uh, specifically to people who were outcasts in society, people with a pretty sinful history and background, much like this woman, which uh, just maybe describes maybe some, many of us here today. Maybe we have a rocky past. Maybe this past weekend you really messed up. Maybe fell short on that same thing again for the 100th time and you come in today, maybe just beaten up and torn down yet again. And in all of this, I don't want us to forget that Jesus was fully upholding the law. Jesus never fell short and he kept the law perfectly. That, that his, he kept the law that his father put in place. Uh, this law that showed them right and wrong, that God put in place, that Jesus perfectly obeyed, uh, said, to, said to stone this woman. She was caught in the act of adultery, which based off of our uh, rocky past, this for us today is our judgment also. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Our actions deserve punishment. And so what's, what's Jesus going to do? Was he going to follow the law and have this lady stoned and killed? 
Or was he going to show compassion and mercy and neglect the law? He was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And so what's he going to do? I mean, the tension here in this story, it's thick. Look at verse 6. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Again, we see they're testing Jesus, looking for a way to convict him and charge him with some sort of wrong because they don't like him and they want him dead. What it says he does next, I think is very interesting. And somewhat of a dramatic pause, uh, a dramatic hold your breath moment. Um, he, he simply just kind of bends over and doodles with his finger on the ground. I mean, don't you just love a good doodle? <laughs> uh, what, what did he write? Y'all, we have no clue. <laughs> it doesn't say. You know, I've heard uh, all sorts of guesses about what he wrote and seen plenty of memes about it as well. Um, things like maybe he wrote out the verse of the law or maybe he wrote out uh, all the sins of everyone else present or maybe he drew a picture of the cross or who knows, maybe he was playing a game of tic-tac-toe. I don't know. Um, or just for fun, I'm going to say maybe he was just making a scorecard on the ground for him and the Pharisees. But y'all, we really have absolutely no clue. But what I do want to draw our attention to during this dramatic pause is not what he's doing with his finger on the ground, but rather, I want you to think about the lady that is likely standing there in this moment with all the religious leaders and officials just caught in the act of adultery, standing before Jesus, wondering what in the world was going to happen. I mean, just imagine the thoughts Going through her head, she was just utterly humiliated, being caught in the act of adultery. And here she is with the embarrassment, the shame, the disappointment, and realizing everything she had just done. Uh, And just maybe you've been there. Maybe you know the feeling. Maybe not this uh, exact thing, but you know shame and disappointment and and discouragement. You know it all too well. I mean, don't we all in some way? And you know what I find interesting about this entire encounter is that most people, when they think of Christianity, think about it the way this story has played out up to this point. Thinking that if they walk into a church, they'll experience shame and finger pointing and experience an utter embarrassment for the life they've lived or for something they've done. Maybe thinking they have to first clean up their life and straighten up and stop sinning before they can be involved in church or even just maybe even show up to a church. I mean, there is a twisted picture, especially in the American church, that tells our culture to put on your Sunday best and straighten up and act right when you walk into a Sunday service. Because if you don't straighten up first, you may get stoned to death. Maybe not with literal stones, but those stares and finger pointings and those comments, I think we can all agree those actually in the moment, they may seem worse anyways. Y'all, this is what is crushing. This This is what crushing religion often tells us. Act right, get your life together, get cleaned up, and if you've messed up, don't come to Jesus in the mess. No, just clean yourself up first and then come. You know what this is you know what this does to the sails of change, life change? It certainly doesn't blow wind into the sails. No, it's like a boulder that totally crushes, rips, and destroys the sail. It utterly just sinks the ship. And it destroys the hope of life transformation. And maybe that's your experience with church or Christianity filled with rules and a long list of things to do or to not do. And it's left you utterly crushed and it totally sunk your ship. Maybe you still show up each week, or, uh, but maybe your life feels like a losing game of battleship where every time you turn around, your ships are being sunk and you just feel utterly defeated. And what does Jesus do in this tense kind of gotcha moment that they try to manufacture where this lady's sails have been totally ripped and her ship is almost entirely sunk? 
Look at verse 7 and 8. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When Jesus is presented with only two options and no good solutions, Jesus always, he always finds a third way. Jesus didn't deny the law and he didn't reject the law. Rather, he simply just turned the mirror back onto the law-crushing Pharisees. They were looking at this woman's deeds and sin, and Jesus doesn't ignore it or excuse it, but instead of addressing that issue, he turns it back on her accusers and says, look at your own life first. And if you are without sin, throw the first stone. And then Jesus goes back uh, over that that scorecard that maybe he wrote down earlier uh, that he doodled on the ground, and he writes, uh, Jesus won, Pharisees zero. Okay, Uh, gotcha. Uh, But I want to take a moment here and address what Jesus just did, because what just happened uh, is marriage and relationship counseling kind of 101. They came in with stones to throw because of the wrong this woman committed, just like we all often do in our relationships, pointing fingers and shifting blame, saying, you're doing this, you did that, you keep doing this thing or that thing, You're, uh, you're wrong, you're a sinner, it's all you, you, you. I think we all may know this all too well. And the best thing we can do in our relationships is regularly and repeatedly and daily recognize the wrong we ourselves have done before we gear up and throw stones. And we seek to understand with compassion. We need to ask ourselves, are we looking inward before we point outward? And are we looking at our own life first before throwing stones at the other person? If we are, are we seeking to understand with compassion? Look what happens next in verse 9. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So not a single person in the crowd was without sin except for Jesus. And this lady was left to stare Jesus square in the eye. With him, knowing what she had done, knowing her past, knowing all all of her sin and shame, standing there before Jesus. I mean, can you just imagine this moment? Just the silence, the thought. And sweating, the nerves, the fear. Every religious leader, every scribe, every Pharisee that brought her to judge her had left because they had no authority to judge because they too had sin in their past, just like this lady. And you know what's so wild about all of this, if you really think about it? Jesus is actually the one she should fear the most. Yes, the scribes and Pharisees are mean, they're jerks, they're rude, they're brash. And maybe when they they all step away in this moment, it seems like maybe the tension is gone because her accusers are gone. Like those who are wanting to convict her are gone. But this moment when she is standing before Jesus is when she's faced with her true judge. And here he is, Jesus, the ultimate judge with this lady with a rocky path who was caught marring the beauty of marriage. And what I don't want us to miss in this moment is that this lady has completely tarnished and gone against Jesus himself. And she didn't didn't sin against the religious leaders. No, she first sinned against the God that made her. In the marriage, she tarnished. This is the trembling, fearful moment in the story because she's standing there, staring into the eyes of the one she's wrong, uh, the one who knows all, sees all, who was, was there watching during it all. And he sees deep into her heart just like he sees deep into each of our hearts here today. This is the moment where us today remember that our sins, our wrongdoings are first against God. Yes, yes, we often feel the shame from the crowds around us, which adds uh, complex uh, and hurtful layers. 
But at the end of the day, every wrong we've ever done, every sin we've ever committed, every lie we've ever told, every man or woman we've slept with outside of marriage, every inappropriate thought or image video we've ever looked at, every sin under the sun we've committed is first against God. We must get this and realize this in order for true and lasting life change to happen. The weight of this must be realized. This is because this is heavy. And just like this woman is standing by herself, looking at her judge right in the face with nobody else around her, we each here today will be in that same scenario, standing before God to be judged with him seeing and knowing all of our sin. And what Jesus does next with this woman who, was, who has severely wronged him, who is standing right in front of him, y'all, it's nothing short of scandalous grace. It's astounding and beautiful grace. It is transforming grace. Y'all, we just walk through the weight of the law. Yes, it's heavy. It's weighty. But we needed to do it because we can't understand the gift of grace if we don't understand the weight of our sin. The grace of God can only be understood against the weightiness of the law. If we don't understand the weight of our sin, the power of grace can't be unleashed. When we stare at our sin square in the eyes, grace, New City Church, it becomes utterly amazing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You know who should wake up? Uh, every morning open their eyes and be moved to tears and joys simply because they open their eyes and can now see someone who knows and remembers that they were once blind but now can see y'all grace is sweet it is life-changing look at verse 10 and 11 jesus stood up and said to her said to her woman where are they has no one condemned you she said no one lord and jesus said neither do i condemn you go and from now on, now on, sin no more. You know, Jesus had every right to condemn this woman. He looked at her and said, has no one condemned you? And she says, no. And what happened after that was nothing short of sheer mercy and grace. And in Jesus's compassion, he showed mercy to this woman. He withheld his judgment. Jesus restrained his condemnation and he relented of his wrath uh, that he could have shown to her. She stood in front of him completely guilty, knowing that she had marred the beauty of marriage which Jesus created, and he withheld his anger and wrath, and he showed her mercy. But he didn't just withhold judgment. <laughs> no, he also showed her extravagant grace. And he said to her, go and sin no more. This guilty woman, he said, go, essentially saying, you're free. You've been set free. Go. You get another chance. New City Church, this woman caught in adultery goes from deserving of being stoned by the crowd and Jesus himself. But because of grace, she leaves with a charge for a new life, with a second opportunity to be changed. Y'all, that's grace. But you know what's so great about this story? This is just one encounter of grace. This is just one small moment of grace for one wrongdoing of one person. But guess what, New City? We today have a much greater picture of grace. We have the ultimate picture of grace, and it's the cross of Christ. 
where later, after this encounter, Jesus would just stare. He wouldn't just stare at one person who was done wrong, excusing her and letting her go free, but rather, when Jesus went to the cross to be killed and whipped and died a bloody death, he wasn't just excusing one person's sins, but rather, he actually paid the penalty for it. And not just for one person, but for every single person that would believe in him. Because, y'all, the woman in this story, when she left, she was actually still guilty under the law. Jesus did excuse her and let her go, but she was still guilty. The stain was still there. But when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't simply excuse and pass over the sin. No, he took it and paid the penalty for it. For every person, including you and me, who would believe in him. Church, this is grace. It's greater grace because if you put your faith in Jesus, you're not just excused once. No, you're excused eternally and forever. And instead of you and me being stoned to death for our sin, Jesus stepped in and he took the stones. He took the penalty at the cross. He took our punishment and defeated sin and death, giving us not just a one-time pardon, but an eternal and forever pardon. If you're a Christian here today, do not let shame be your label. Your label is totally forgiven. Your label is free. Live in that. Run and dance and sing and rejoice because grace has freed you. You're not in bondage. You're not in shame. You are forever free. Whatever happened last night, last week, because of the cross, listen, you are free. That habitual sin, God says, get up, keep fighting, keep battling. You are free. You are forgiven. Y'all, we can't forget grace. And we also can't think that grace is a pass to keep sinning. (laughs) No, grace is the power to get back up and keep going and to keep fighting sin. If we use grace as a pass to sin, that's an indicator. uh, Maybe we likely haven't experienced real grace. Because true grace empowers us. It encourages us to change and not stay the same. True grace heals our wounds and softens our hearts. It doesn't harden our hearts to keep on sinning. New City Church, grace changes lives. We need grace. And as I think about our church celebrating two years today, what a picture of God's transforming grace that we want to see happen over and over and over again in the life of our church. If you're here today and you've not yet trusted in Jesus, listen, Jesus has eternal grace to give you. His his grace is greater than your sin, always, every day. He's He's simply handing it to you. The only requirement for receiving the gift of grace is belief in Jesus. It's trusting in the sufficiency of the cross. God's grace is greater than your sin. Y'all, grace is what changes lives. It's not more law. It's not more condemnation. No, it's God's relentless grace. And as a church, the thing we celebrate the most here is Jesus and it is his grace. Y'all, we have a lot to celebrate. But the greatest gift we have for our two-year birthday, it is still Jesus. It is still grace. That's our greatest gift today. But I do want to get to our last verse and our last point. (laughs) Well, let's quickly look at verse 12 as we start to land the plane here. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so after a scandalous picture of grace, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, leading us to number two, Jesus is the light of the world. Y'all, Jesus, Jesus knows that he is what the world needs. Jesus knows his grace is what the world needs because he knows without Jesus, as we see in verse 12, there's darkness. 
There's people walking in darkness, but with Jesus, there's light and there's life. There's grace with Jesus. God pulls people out of darkness by grace and brings them into the light by grace. And you know what? It's not just for us. This grace is not to be kept for only us. Jesus desires for this amazing grace to be known to the whole world. This is why we exist as a church. We exist to see lives changed and to reach the world. The grace we, the grace of God we have received, God has blessed us to share it with the entire world, from every people, every tribe, language, people, and nation. You know, I can't help but imagine the woman in this story caught in adultery that we read about today. Just being something of a reality for so many other women around the world or maybe for, for children in remote villages, or for men in various tribes, or for business leaders and engineers and teachers and taxi drivers in various major metro areas where Jesus is not known and where grace is not realized. Where they're trapped under the condemnation of religion or tribalism or corrupt law, where grace and freedom for the weight of their sin is just not known. And their only option is to be stoned under the law and they're left without hope because nobody told them about the grace of Jesus Christ. New City Church, I pray Psalm 67 all the time for us as a church. May God bless our church. Right? Bless us here abundantly. May he lavish his grace on us as a church abundantly so that we may be a blessing to the ends of the earth. So those who have never heard for those who have never tasted and experienced the grace of God. So New City, I, I want to ask us, uh, and just ask and pray and dream, just propelled by God's grace, utterly dependent on it. We are utterly dependent on the grace of God for anything this, that will happen in the years to come. I mean, how many people groups can our church help take off the unreached map? How many missionaries can we mobilize to those who have never heard? How many churches can we plant to multiply our missions, mobilization efforts? How many life change stories and from families and marriages and retirees in the campuses uh, can we witness this year that five years from now will then be able to then disciple the next generation to reach the next missionaries to send and equip and hold the rope for those that are willing to go. Y'all may God bless us here abundantly so that we can send people to the places where Jesus is just not known at all. You know, two weeks ago I told everybody here in this room at our night of prayer and worship, I was praying for 15 families this year, which would almost just like double our families and totally change the landscape of our church and uh, really help establish us for long-term sustainability. And about five minutes later, those who I think remember this, uh, were there remember this, a lady in our church stands up and just prays fervently, not for 15 families, but for 30 families, knowing and believing what God can do. And I, I've started praying for 30, I don't know. I mean, who knows? And y'all, again, we don't pray for this for our glory. We pray this totally for God's glory. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. But I have no doubt about it. God can do it. But I know one thing for sure. Y'all, nothing will happen if God's grace does not pour out on our church and make it happen. Again, if we've learned anything over the past two years, it's that without a doubt, we are utterly dependent on the power of God to move among us. And in all honesty, I don't even know why I try sometimes <laughs> because God just like sits me down, humbles me, puts me in my place and it works totally in spite of me. And by his grace, he says to each of us, get back up, keep going because he just loves using us. That's just the way God works.
God makes beauty from ashes. He takes our garbage and makes it beautiful. He takes our mess and makes it a masterpiece. And he takes a little boy's lunch and he feeds 5,000 people. And for whatever reason, God's design to reach the world is to take broken people like you and me to walk in obedience, yielded to his ways. And in spite of our disobedience and stubbornness and messed upness, by his amazing grace, somehow he still uses us in spite of us. Whenever we think we know what we're doing, God likes to show us, no, we actually don't. Uh, When we think we don't know what we're doing, he shows up and works miracles in spite of us. Y'all, I don't get it. I don't get it, except for by one word. It's grace. God's grace has brought us here, and there's no questions asked. Only by God's grace will he keep us and continue to use us for his purposes and kingdom around the world. New City, uh, happy birthday. It is all because of grace. Let's pray. God, you have been so good. Highs and lows, mountains, valleys, in all seasons, God, you, you're good to us. You grow us, you strengthen us. God, you've shown us so much grace. God, you have poured out your grace on us. And we totally realize we are utterly dependent on your grace for whatever, God, you want to do with us next. God, we, may we be yielded to your ways. May we just submit to you. God, this is not for our glory. God, we, we want this totally for you. God, Jesus, uh, you are good. God, if there's anybody in this room that had, for whatever reason for, has just realized grace for the first time and realized what Jesus has done, would they tell someone today? Would they go to the next steps table? Would they tell me? Would they talk to someone here just so we can celebrate with them the new life that's been found in Christ? God, you, you're working all around us. May we just see and celebrate it today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.